This is ARN. Uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, the 10th day of August, 2023, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and anything else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You will find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Um, Great episode, uh either yesterday or the day before. I listened to it yesterday. Um, the Bible Sojourner with Peter Gaiman, one of the Christian podcast community podcasts. Um, Dr. Gaiman was talking about uh, Biblicism, and that was a very good article. And in light of what we're going to talk about today, because it is Theology Thursday, um, he is mentioning that it's going to be a while because their semester just started, but he has every plans of doing a episode on um, the 1689 from a dispensationalist point of view. And that kind of falls in line with what we talk about on Theology Thursdays as we're going through the 1689. Um, Obviously, I don't think he's going to hit it in the kind of depth we are. He's just looking at it in a broad sense and uh, probably going to highlight the places where the 1689 would contradict dispensational theology. Um, looking forward to that. Um, anything Pete does is is worth listening to. So I will commend that to you. And that's just one of over 50 podcasts that are available at the Christian Podcast Community. There's stuff on homeschooling. There's stuff on just about any topic from a Christian point of view you can think of. Um, so I, I point you in that direction with great encouragement that you will find something that's worth listening to. All right, what do we got coming up today? First, let me say that Rumble is working. (laughs) I don't know what happened yesterday after I finished the show. I checked all the settings. Everything looked fine. But for some reason, Restream couldn't connect with Rumble yesterday. But everything is working well today, so we are back webcasting on Rumble. Um, I did upload yesterday's video. Nobody watched it. <laughs> it had like six six views. Um, normally, I get over a hundred views of the uh, of the webcast on Rumble, and but yesterday, I guess not being live streamed, um, it just didn't didn't get viewed. So there we go. Um, but it is up there. So yesterday's episode is up there. Um, I didn't look at the audio download numbers. Maybe they were higher. Maybe a lot of people went, oh, it's not on video. I'll go download the audio. I don't know. Anyway, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. 
So you can find us. Hey, give Squirrel Chat Pod a follow on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it now. I'm sorry, Elon. It's always going to be Twitter. Um, you know, follow it. Uh, follow us and and like us and whatever on Rumble. Um, it's always always appreciated. Uh, give us that five star rating on your your favorite podcatcher. We appreciate that just to get the the word out about the podcast. Not that it's the be-all and end-all of Christian podcasts, but hey, somebody's going to find it interesting. You do, right? (laughs) All right. Okay, what do we have today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, and it is Theology Thursday. We're looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 17 of the Perseverance of Saints, and we're going to be looking at paragraph 2 today. We might even get paragraph 3 done and finish the chapter. We'll see how much time we spend on paragraph 2. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. Today's devotional is Jesus on Divorce. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew five thirty-one and 32. Dr. MacArthur writes, Jesus no more approves of divorce than did Moses. See Matthew 19.6. Adultery, another reality God never condoned, is the only reason under the law that allows for dissolving of a marriage with the guilty party to be put to death. Leviticus 20.10. Because Jesus mentions this here, and again in Matthew 19.9, God must have allowed divorce to replace execution as the penalty for adultery at some time during Israel's history. Divorce is never commanded. It is always a last resort, allowed when unrepentant immorality has exhausted the patience of the innocent spouse. This merciful concession to human sinfulness logically implies that God also permits remarriage. Divorce's purpose is to show mercy to the guilty party, not to sentence the innocent party to a life of loneliness. If you are innocent and have strived to maintain your marriage, you are free to remarry if your spouse insists on continued adultery 
or divorce. Jesus does not demand divorce in all cases of unchastity, immorality, primary adultery in this context, but simply points out that divorce and remarriage on other grounds results in adultery. Our Lord wants to set the record straight that God still hates divorce, Malachi 2.16, and that his ideal remains a monogamous, lifelong marriage. But as a gracious concession to those innocent spouses whose partners have defiled the marriage, he allows divorce for believers for the reason of immorality. Paul later added a second reason of desertion in 1 Corinthians 7.15. Ask yourself, how could you be an encouragement to a couple whose marriage is on the verge of collapse? How could you show Christ's mercy to those who have been wounded the greatest? All right. Theology Thursday. <laughs> we are looking at the perseverance of the saints. This is chapter 17 of the 1689. Perseverance of the saints is, of course, the, the you know, that the God... God keeps those who are his and that those who are his will not fall away um, because it is the power of God that keeps us just as it is the power of God that saves us. It's not something that, uh, um, you know, it's not within our power to do. This is a blessing from God. All right. We looked at paragraph one last time. I will read paragraph one, and then we will jump into paragraph two. Those whom God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, and given the precious faith of his elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved, seeing the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, from which source he still begets and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit unto immortality. And, though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, they shall never be able to take off they shall never be able to take them off of that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon. Notwithstanding, through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them. Yet he is still the same, and they shall be sure to keep by the power, be kept by the power of God unto salvation, where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they being engraved upon the palm of his hands, and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. Paragraph 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with him, the oath of God, the abiding of his spirit, and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth, ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So this is important. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election. 
it is not we who choose to stay saved. He keeps us saved because he chose to elect us, just as he saved us because he chose to elect us. It is always of God. The, the, the only thing that we can take credit for in our salvation is the sin that requires uh, our need of a Savior. That's all we can really take credit for. It is he who puts the will in us to choose to follow him. It is he who makes us alive together with Christ. He saves us and he keeps us. And it's all by the power of God. Romans 8.30 Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And again, everything is in the past tense even though for many of us, some of these things are in the future. They're in the past tense in Romans 8.30 because they are such a sure thing because it is God who does them. And no one's going to be able to stop God from doing his will. And so that is the, the case. Um, so he saves us. He, he sanctifies us. He holds us in the palm of his hand. Romans 9, 11, and 16. Romans 9, 11 says, For though the twins were not yet born and had not, yet, and had not done anything good or bad, so that the purpose of God according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So this is speaking in Romans 9 about the election of Jacob over Esau. And despite the great arguments, this is not talking about the election of individuals. This is talking about God's plan for these two nations that would grow from Jacob, Israel, and Esau, the Edomites. The verses speak of the people. It's not talking about the nations. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that the purpose of God, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So it's, it's talking about the people. It, it says, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. It isn't talking about their descendants. Now, Paul is talking about, in chapter 9 of Romans, the Israelites, and the promises that God has made to the Israelites. And he points out that not everyone who was born of Israel, born of Jacob, not every descendant of Jacob, is in fact among the elect. And they never have been, and that was never promised. And so, you know, as I said, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are answering an unasked question at the end of chapter 8. In chapter 8, Paul lays out all those wonderful promises that he gave to uh, the church. And then the unasked question is, this all sounds great, but what about the promises he made to Israel? You know, has Israel been dumped for the church, even though God made all these promises? And so Romans 9, 10, and 11 are showing that God's promises to Israel are in fact still in force. God doesn't renege on his promises, which is a very good thing for us, and that he will fulfill all those promises. Um, and that is a, a very important thing to understand. 
But in laying that out, he does talk about various individuals. He talks about Jacob and Esau. He talks about Pharaoh. He talks about individuals and uses them as examples of God keeping his promises and showing that God's promise was never for the entirety of the descendants of Jacob, but only for select, elect members of the descendants of Jacob. Great little book. Let me reach over and grab it. Not sure which one. I think the this one is the new one, but I've got I've got the older and the new copy. This one's thicker, so I'm thinking it's the new one. This is Steve Kreloff's book, God's Plan for Israel. It is a little bitty commentary on Romans 9, 10, and 11. And it is invaluable. Um, when I preached through Romans, this was a uh, go-to for me in those chapters and brought me to a great deal of understanding. So this is 95-2006, and this one is 95. So this is the older one, <laughs> and this is the new one. Um, but yeah, very good, very good book. Um, if you don't have it in your library, I would suggest you pick that up. Amazon has it. I don't think it's all that expensive. Um, and very good book for dealing with that. So the white cover, I think, is the new one, the 2006 update. Um, uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, different publishers. So it looks like originally it was from Luzo, and now it's from Cress. So, but good book. Pick that up. Um, yeah, invaluable. It was uh, Phil Johnson that said, you got to read this. When he found out I was getting ready to preach through Romans. Um, if I'm not, I think he sent me that older copy, um, now that I think about it. He certainly recommended it to me. And I've had the pleasure of, of meeting Steve Kraloff and, and uh, thanking him personally because it is, it's a very good book and, and very important for understanding Romans 9, 10, and 11. Um, really opened a lot of things up. Same way that uh, um, Jim Hamilton's commentary on Hebrews brought me to a great great understanding of some of the things that were causing me to scratch my head as I was studying Hebrews, um, especially the warning passages, or talking about falling away and talking about all that. And, and uh, Hamilton points out, and this fits with the perseverance of the saints, because this is, it's like the methodology. God uses the proclamation of the gospel to call his elect unto himself. Only the elect respond with faith and belief. God uses the warning powers or the warning passages in books like Hebrews to keep his elect because they're the ones who respond with obedience and faith and don't fall away. And that was a key understanding. That I had never, you know, is he saying that people fall away? Not the elect. <laughs> the, 
But it's these warnings not to fall away that God uses to keep the elect. So it's, it's one of the mechanisms of the perseverance of the saints. Verse 16 of Romans 9, So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, but on God who has mercy. The second cause says that this, this salvation, this perseverance, flows from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with him. So we are in union with Christ. And that is why we are preserved. It flows out of God's love for Christ so that he keeps those whom Christ died for. Um, I mean, we've, we've looked at, at you know, John multiple times with the, you know, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, of those that the Father gives me, I will lose none, but raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a progression there. Nobody's lost. Nobody's lost. This is God in command of whom he saves, and he keeps those whom he chooses to save. As I've said, Jesus is a perfect Savior. On the cross, he perfectly saved everyone he intended to save. No one he intended to save is lost. No one he didn't intend to save is saved. And that is a reality of the sovereignty of God. Romans 5, 9 through 10, talking about the, the love of Christ that, that sustains us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And this is one of those passages that is talking about the, you know, the righteousness of Christ that we receive when we come to the cross for our salvation. John fourteen nineteen. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all so long, and have you not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Understanding the Trinity. We need to understand that there is a perfect unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is never any conflict. Um, remember, all those that Christ died for are those whom the Father gave him. There's perfect unity in salvation. Yeah. It was decreed by the Father, it was accomplished by the Son, and it's applied by the Holy Spirit. And they're all working in perfect concert. I hate using they because there's only one God, but you, you get the point. English is insufficient for a Trinitarian God, as is any other human language. God is perfectly united, yet God eternally exists in three co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't explain it. You know, that's, that's beyond my puny little mind. 
as I said, you know, my mind wouldn't, you know, my brain doesn't fill up a one gallon bucket, <laughs> you know, so it's not, you know, capable of grasping a lot of things. Um, I can understand, I can, I can accept it. I believe it because scripture teaches it. But when you start trying to explain it, you know, you know, as I said, you know, but somebody, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, try to explain the Trinity and you'll lose your mind. Deny the Trinity and you'll lose your soul. There's, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, the Trinity is, I mean, there's good books, you know, uh, the forgotten Trinity by James White, um, other books out there. Um, forgotten Trinity was the first book on the Trinity I ever read. Some are better than others. That's a good one. Um, uh, but you know, the Trinity is a difficult concept, but it's scripturally true. And because of this, you know, when, when you see the son, you've seen the father. If you want to know what God is like, read the gospels and look at Jesus, the compassion, the patience the at times sternness you know overturning the tables of the money changers you know um but don't lose fact of the sight that the christ who came as the suffering servant 2000 years ago comes as the conquering king when he returns and brings with him the wrath of god so we have the, the love of God for Christ that sustains us. We also have the oath of God. God promised to save us. And because God has promised to save us, he will do so. Hebrews six seventeen and 18, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. You know, you can doubt yourself all you want. Don't doubt God. He has swore to save those who are his. The heirs of the promise. The unchangeableness of his purpose. Guaranteed with an oath. And so, therefore, we have strong encouragement, the writer of the Hebrews says, to take hold of the hope set before us. Then the abiding of his spirit, the seed of God within them. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. 1 John 3, 9. This is not teaching sinless perfection. <laughs> um, we know Romans 7 that, that we do the things we know we ought not to do, we do the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing the things that we don't want to do, and we're not doing the things that we want to do and know we should do, because we are still trapped in our sinful flesh until we are redeemed. But we have the seed of God abiding in us. Remember, the, the seed of God is Christ. 
and, and Christ abides in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and because we have the Holy Spirit within us, we're, we don't sin. But we sin. How does that work? That's the, the, the huge struggle of the Christian life. And, and this goes back to, you know, that great tripartite view of salvation. When we come to Christ, we are saved from the penalty of our sin. Washed clean, wiped away, paid for in full, receive in its place the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand before God the Father, clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness, we are, we are saved from the penalty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as we continue to walk on this world, we are being constantly saved from the power of sin. Where before coming to Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were slaves to sin. We had no choice. <laughs> now, because we have been redeemed, because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, because we have the power of God in us, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. And so, you know, whenever we have temptation before us, there's a way out. And when we don't take it, that's on us. <laughs> but when we don't take it, you know, that's why I said, you know, we say we're without sin, you know, we make God out to be a liar. You know, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is why the, the life of the Christian has to be a life of repentance. Because you sin every day, you need to repent every day. But there is coming a day when we will be saved from the very presence of sin and this struggle will be gone. You, won't, you will no longer find yourself doing the things you know you ought not to do. You will no longer find yourself failing to do the things you know you ought to do. You will no longer have to deal with sin and the sinful nature. And that is the joy that is set before us. To be able to, to not even have to struggle with it. And as I've said before, I don't think we understand how sinful we are. Just like a fish doesn't understand how wet it is. This is the environment in which we live. This is the sinful flesh in which we have always lived in a sinful world, and a lot of the sin in us and around us goes unnoticed by us because it's normal. Yeah, it's just, this is the world we live in. And so there are things that we do and say and think that we don't even recognize as being sinful except on rare occasions when we're being extremely introspective. <laughs> um, now, a lot of things we know are sin, and those are the things that, that we, need, we repent of constantly. But there are all sorts of sins that, you know, I honestly think we're just not aware of. And 
when we look back and we see how wicked we were and what God saved us from, no wonder we're going to be singing his praises for all eternity. There's something to really, really, really be grateful for. All right. So he saves us because of his his love, his oath, his abiding spirit, and the nature of the covenant of grace. Now, the covenant of grace, again, this is a theological covenant that, as a dispensationalist, I do not hold to. And we've talked about that in other places. I'm not going to uh, jump into that. But it's interesting. The verse they use is a verse for the new covenant, <laughs> which is a, is a covenant of grace. There is no doubt. But it is, it is not this theological covenant of grace that, that, that uh, the covenant theologians point to. It is the, it is the new covenant that Jesus inaugurated at his crucifixion. Jeremiah 32:40 says, "I will cut an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in the heart in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me." Notice that so they will not turn away from me. All those saved under the new covenant and and the new covenant is retroactive. This is everyone who has been saved. There is only one way of salvation. It has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Um, and those who have come to him by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, he will put the fear of God in them so they will not turn away. And, and it, this is the preservation, you know, so... So we could say, you know, the nature of the new covenant. The nature of the new covenant is it is an everlasting covenant. It is irrevocable. It is unconditional, meaning that it is not by the will of man, but by the will of God that it takes place. It's not based upon a condition that we meet other than conditions. It's, it's all conditions that are met by God. From all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. It is certain and it is unmistakable. There will be no errors. God can't mess it up. It is a the, the perseverance of the saints is a doctrine of joy and hope for those who are his. And and so that is the truth of the matter. So next week we'll look at paragraph 3. I'm not going to get into it today. It has quite a few scriptural proofs. We would run way late, so we will pass on that until next week. And we will look now at the Apostles' Creed, reciting our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the tenth Sunday after Pentecost. Almighty and most merciful God, it is only by your grace that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Colic for Guidance Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Thursday. I wish you have the best of days. I've got some stuff i got to do today. You probably have stuff you got to do today. But hope to see you again tomorrow. Remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.